Romans chapter 8, reading just verses 26 and 27. The message is entitled, Praying in the Spirit. So let us hear God's Word. Uh, Likewise, the Spirit also helps in our weaknesses, for we do not know what we should pray for as we ought. But the Spirit Himself makes intercession for us with groanings which cannot be uttered. Now he who searches the hearts knows what the mind of the Spirit is because he makes intercession for the saints according to the will of God. And may God bring his blessing to this word and may it endure forever within our hearts. looking to see, but it's not there. The uh, larger catechism, I'm going to be referencing the larger catechism question number 182, and I inerrantly left it out of uh, the bulletin details. Uh, But in that question, it deals with this whole matter of uh, how the Spirit enables us to pray. And, And I want us to remember that This is all under that umbrella of understanding the ordinances that God has instituted and which Christ uses to to bring to us the blessings of his salvation. That word ordinance is, is talking about those means, those things that Christ primarily and powerfully uses by his spirit to work and to bestow upon us the graces and the blessings of His salvation in our lives. We know the very primary ones. There's ones beyond that. We we could look at our parents, Christian parents and our Christian homes as a means of grace to be sure. We can look at our daily devotional life as a means of grace for sure. But the primary and powerful ones that God has, has given us and has said, my son will use these things to bring the blessings of his salvation in your life. The primary ones are God's word read and especially preached. We already went over that in the first uh, couple sermons. And then the sacraments of baptism and the Lord's Supper. And as much as we are participants in them, the reality of what Christ has promised to do with those sacraments to bless our lives is mighty and powerful. And I direct you back to those messages, if you haven't heard them, to listen to them, or if you've forgotten them, to listen to them again. But we are spending the remainder of our time on the matter of prayer and going through the larger catechism and its instruction on prayer and especially with the Lord's Prayer. And last time, back at the end of July, we con- I concluded then about the necessity of prayer in the name of Christ. And this evening, it's about prayer in the Holy Spirit. That we see that we're not left to ourselves and our own strength and our own ability to pray and see God. Christ comes and helps. Christ opens the way. Christ takes our prayers and intercedes with us before the throne of God. But the Spirit also helps in urging and, and bringing us to embrace this privileged blessing that we have. Many have rightly said that prayer is our lifeline to God. 
That's really what it is. It's like that, that lifesaver that's thrown out to the person that's in the ocean and needs to be drawn to shore. And they grab hold of it and the other people are pulling it on. Well, Christ and the Spirit have thrown out this lifeline. Pray and we will bring you to God and to His throne of grace where you will find help and, and mercy in your time of need. The thing about prayer as a privileged blessing, it is also, as I've often intimated, one of the greatest struggles in our lives. Some of us have overcome it, and we have those within the church that we can account and afford as prayer warriors. But I know, been there, that one of the greatest difficulties of, of constancy in the Christian life is praying. To developing that time of communion with God. Consider the numerous times the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit, throughout all of Scripture, invite, call, urge, and compel you to the ministry of prayer. You don't read a psalm without realizing this is a prayer. And God using this to, to instruct us, pray to me, seek me. And it isn't because... The Father doesn't work or won't help us or won't act otherwise unless we pray. He's not that kind of miserly Father. It's because Christ has said, this is what I will use to build you up. To help you in life. To encourage your faith and your hope and your love in me. And how we need to to comprehend that. We do not, in our prayers, change the mind of God. We do not, in our prayers, reveal something to God that is otherwise unknown to Him. But I think we miss this point that in our praying to God, Christ uses those opportunities to draw us near to the will of God, to the love of God, to the care of God, to the nurturing of God. I think the greatest thing in prayer is even in the depths of any kind of struggle that any of us may have had, that when we pray to God in, in earnestness and zeal, and, and, and there is rarely a time that we rise up from that and say, wow, I already feel better. Because He uses that prayer to help us. Now, true prayer, we, we've sung already about this, true prayer, prayer we must understand, consists, first of all, in praying and addressing the only living and true God who has revealed Himself in the Bible. True prayer means to understand that there is no other God. When we talk and hear about people praying to, to various uh, uh, un- unknown gods or uh, idols or even praying to Mary or to saints, we understand that's not prayer. Right. It isn't. Because it's not made to the Father Himself. Jesus didn't teach us to pray Holy Mary or Blessed St. Paul. Or Allah. He said, when you pray, say, 
our Father. And, and that is something that brings us to the other thing about true prayer. It must, as we already heard a few weeks ago, it must be made in the name of Jesus Christ, who alone has been approved and appointed by God to mediate between God and, and us. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. There is no other way to the Father. No one can come to the Father but through me. <coughs> Paul wrote in 1 Timothy 2, There is one God and one mediator between God and man, and that is the man, Jesus Christ. There is no other. And if we are to come to God to plead with Him, it must be in Christ. And when we understand that, what a glory it is to know the mediation of Christ as Hebrews 7.25 says to us, knowing Christ, praying in Christ, we understand that He is the one who is able. That's what it says. He is able to save us to the uttermost because He always lives to make intercession for those who come to God through Him. So that's what true prayer really consists in. We stumble in our words before God. I know many people when it comes to even praying in public say, I don't know what to say. And I know many who have said even in their own prayer times, I'm trying to pray for things, but I don't know what words to say. And Do you know what true prayer consists in? Praying to God. In the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. And tonight we will see how the Spirit helps us to that end. But our words can be fumbling words. And yet God, as we hear here, He searches the heart. Knows what's there. So understand that. And when you understand that, Prayer then does not become a burden, does not become a chore, does not become one of those things, you know, I haven't prayed in a long while, I really need to, but I don't know if I have the time. It's not that kind of ordinance. Even though it is the hardest ordinance to lay hold of. It, 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 It isn't hard. Because when we know what true prayer consists in, We understand that Christ has not left us alone. He hasn't left us as orphans to understand and work our way through these things ourselves. He has said in John 14, I give you a helper, the Holy Spirit, who will assist you so that you can pray, as Paul would say in Ephesians 6, so that you can pray with all prayer and supplication in the Spirit. All our prayer, if we are in Christ, all our prayer is in the Spirit. Do you realize that? And how good it is to know that. And and the first thing that the Spirit does for us is that the Spirit helps us. Helps us to pray. We see that in our text. Likewise, verse 26, likewise the Spirit also helps us in our weaknesses. We are all, everyone, weak before God. 
That word help is very interesting. It's the same word that Martha used when she accused Mary in Luke 10 when she said, Lord, tell Mary to help me. <laughs> I say that, that in that case it was accusatory. But that's the very word that is used here to speak about Jesus saying, Holy Spirit, go and help them. Go to their aid because the work of prayer, as hard as it is for us to lay hold of, prayer is a labor. It is not just a duty. It is a hard labor. You saw in our time of intercession, I took but 12 minutes to pray for a vast multitude of things. But each one of those items could have taken ten minutes on their own to pray and to plead with God for His mercy and help. We grow weary after ten minutes, don't we? Because it's hard. It's exhausting at times. But we have one who has been given to help us because we are weak. Jesus knows that weakness. What did He say when He went off into the garden to pray and He brought His three closest friends with Him and He says, Come and watch with Me for an hour. Have you ever taken a full hour to pray? Men, if you have nothing to do Tuesday morning at 7 a.m., we spend a full hour in prayer. I can tell you where that is. And it's hard sometimes. How do we express the desires of our hearts to God for His will? And Jesus looked at these dear friends that He invited to pray with Him. And we read in one of the accounts that their hearts were so filled with sorrow that they fell asleep. It wasn't just that they were tired. The sorrow of what was going on was overwhelming them. And Jesus came back and He uttered those words that we all know so readily. He says, watch and pray that you do not enter into temptation. What is that temptation He was speaking of? The temptation to not pour out your heart to God. Watch and pray. The Spirit is willing, but what? The flesh is weak. We have weaknesses. We need the help of the Spirit. And Christ has given the Spirit for that help. You know, when when you think about all the things that we deal with concerning what is the Spirit's role in the church and that, my, my friends, the greatest role of the Spirit, aside from regenerating and converting these dead and dull hearts to God and breathing life into them, is leading us to the Father in the name of the Holy Spirit, in the name of Jesus Christ. To pray. It's one of our greatest weaknesses. Jesus told a parable about that. Not just are we physically weak, our spirit may be willing, but we are spiritually weak. Our souls grow weak. From the troubles and struggles, especially from the struggles of unanswered prayer. Remember in Luke 18, 
Jesus told that parable of the persistent widow. And it's a strange parable. But what He is emphasizing with that parable is that the widow persisted with the judge until she received what she wanted, justice. But why did Jesus tell that parable? So that we would always pray and not lose heart. (laughs) Because we can after praying for some... Look, we've prayed for some of our children uh, since I've been with you now for seven years. And we've yet to see God answer that prayer in their lives. Do we give up? We don't give up with unanswered prayer. We persist. But we can't do that in our own soul strength, can we? It's it's tiring. It's like, well, God, maybe you've said no already and I haven't recognized it. You know why I don't believe he said no already? Because we haven't seen the end of it yet. In respect of those children who have strayed, they're still alive. They're still in this world. And while they live, is not the hope of God's grace much greater than the pull and tug of sin? And until we see the end of those things, we persist. But we need the Spirit to help us. We are weak. We are ignorant. In our weakness, it's not just that our flesh and our soul lack strength. We are ignorant. It says so here. We do not, verse 26, we do not know what we should pray for as we ought. We have knowledge of God's will in certain things. We have knowledge of God's will in in the moral realm. We know uh, His law and what He requires of us in righteousness and obedience. We know God's general will for our lives as believers that He wants to sanctify us more and more so that we bear a greater image and glory of Christ in our lives. But what is it that we don't know? We do not know His secret will. Deuteronomy 29.29 The secret things belong to God. Isaiah 55.8 and 9 God says, My thoughts are not your thoughts, nor are your ways my ways. As the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways and my thoughts than your thoughts. We don't know God's secret will. And in that ignorance, we don't know how to pray. How would you have prayed for Job? Why did God take away all his wealth and prosperity, all his honor and prestige before men, all his children, even his health. Would we have been praying like his friends, Job, you've sinned grievously, you need to repent. Obviously, God's hand of judgment is against you. They did. (laughs) How would you have prayed for Paul? This is another interesting one. Because Paul knew, knew as, a, as an apostle, 
He knew God's plan for him was to go to Jerusalem and he would be arrested. And any time he told that, Acts 21, when, when the church heard those things, they pleaded with him, don't go to Jerusalem. And Paul said, what do you mean by weeping and breaking my heart? I am ready not only to be bound, but also to die at Jerusalem if that's God's will. He didn't know the secret plan of God, but he did know God has said, you will be suffering for my sake in bringing the gospel to the Gentiles. Why in the world would God choose such a means to prosper his gospel amongst the nations? Why would God take the most prolific church planter there ever was and put him in prison for two and a half years? And the church was saying, don't go that way. And God is saying, this is my will. I know the end of these things. You don't. How would you have prayed? How do we pray? You see, there's ignorance. And that's why we need the Holy Spirit. We're weak. We're ignorant. We have our infirmities. We have sufferings that sap us of the power to pray. We find ourselves in sin. And the shame of our sins often steer us away from God's presence. We, like Adam, do not go running to God when our sin is found out readily. We hide ourselves away. And God has to come and seek us out. We're lazy. I mentioned that before. We have no problem giving time to wasteful activities. But to pray for ten minutes is a real struggle. Those are weaknesses. But we also, in our infirmities, we have a stubbornness. <laughs> and stubbornness goes like this. We can deny that trials and events in our lives, sufferings and struggles, are God's way of maybe disciplining us, humbling us, and always sanctifying us. And in denying those truths, we, we become both ignorant and selfish in our prayers. God, take this away. And God's like, why? I'm using it to make you more like my son. See, we don't think like God, do we? And those are our great struggles when it comes to prayer. But we also have another great weakness. We have our ignorance. We have our infirmities. But we also have our inabilities. And that's why we need help. Let me ask you this. Can you change your spots? Can you change your heart? Can you change or turn anyone's heart? The heart of your children. The heart of that sinner that you've been witnessing to. Can you work wonders in another person's life? Can you see the end of any circumstance? And the answer to all those questions is, no. I do not have those abilities. And so the Spirit helps. We're weak. And that's what Paul gets at here in verse 26. 
when it comes to praying. We have so much in the way of weaknesses. We need the Spirit's help. And this is where praying in the Spirit begins. Because as he says there, the Spirit himself makes intercessions for us. In all our weaknesses, it's the Spirit who comes and says, cry out, Abba Father, seek God. Have you ever acknowledged that? I, 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 I emphasize this again and again because I think our minds have to be turned to understanding God. Every time you pray, it's because the Spirit has helped you. Every time. That's what praying in the Spirit is. And not only does the Spirit help us, the Spirit works in us, as Paul says here. He, he himself makes intercession for us with, with groanings which cannot be uttered. Now some, when they read this, some debate if it's the Spirit that is groaning in us or if it is our own soul that is groaning because the Spirit is helping us. Uh, I think that's a mute debate. It's both. It's not either or. It's the Spirit moving in the soul where together He's, he's interceding for us. Pray. Pray. Let me help you pray. Cry out, Abba Father. And that's the Spirit in you groaning and making your spirit groan with Him. <laughs> Think about it. How can you pray in an unexpected grief or despair? How can you pray when a grievous sin lays hold of your life or the life of a, a loved one? How do you learn to, to pray and to seek God in, in surmounting trials in your life? If it was not for the Spirit coming to work in you with these groanings, cry out to God. <laughs> Because this is why we need the Spirit. This is why the Spirit helps us to pray. And what praying in the Spirit is about. It is the Spirit alone who gives us life to seek God. Think about Psalm 127. Verses 4 and following. When he says there, One thing I have desired of the Lord, that I will seek. To behold the beauty of the Lord and to inquire in His temple. But where does it begin? Where does that psalm begin? The Lord is my light. The Lord is my strength. What shall I fear? You know, the, those words uh, uh, to, to seek God and to behold the beauty of the Lord and to inquire, to pray in His temple. How does He do that? The Lord is my strength. He's my light to these things. It is the Spirit who gives life. I mentioned it this morning, but the, the fuller quote from Thomas Watson is this. As a horse needs a spur to move along, what absolute need there is to stir in ourselves to these holy duties. And who does that? The Spirit. He's the spur 
in our heart. (laughs) And why do we need this spur? And that's when he says, Jesus Christ went more willingly to the cross than we do to the throne of grace. And it's a stirring testament of our hearts. But all the Spirit working uh, to, to give you life. And that life includes faith to trust God. Faith to trust His goodness. Because what's the very next verse after these two verses about praying in the Spirit? We know all things work together for good to those who love God. That the Spirit is saying, trust God. Know that everything is working for your good. And what faith you need in those times to trust God. What life you need to have that faith to trust God. To trust in His goodness. What life you need for self-denial. That God's glory may be expressed in your lives. To deny yourself. It's a hard thing to do. Who wants to suffer? And rightly, I don't see any hands rising. But what are we told? Deny yourself and what? Take up your cross. We don't take up Jesus' cross, but we take up the cross that He's given us. And what does that cross mean? It means you're going to have sufferings in your life. Deny yourself. How can you do that without the Spirit working in you? And as well, He gives you life to persevere to the end. To keep on praying until you see God's hand fulfilling the works of your prayers. And as well, that humility to accept God's will. Because all our prayers are always couched in that prayer of Christ. Not my will, but yours be done. But in all of that, what the Spirit is working in, giving you life to seek God, to inquire, to be strengthened in your faith, to deny yourself, to persevere, to humbly accept this, what the Spirit is doing in all of that, whether you see it or not, is He is confirming to your soul that you are God's child. You are a beloved child of God. And that's something that we can forget in our sufferings and trials and troubles, in our needs and wants. And doesn't Paul already cover that before he gets here when he talks about being led by the Spirit back in verse 14 of chapter 8. The Spirit of God. We are led by the Spirit of God. These are the sons of God. And the Spirit comes in and confirms in your heart that you are children of God. And how does the Spirit bear that witness in you? By making you cry out, Abba Father. That's what He's doing. The last thing that Paul talks here about praying in the Spirit, not only does He help us, not only does He work in us, but as we see in verse 27, He makes intercession for the saints. 
in accordance with God, the will of God. The Spirit intercedes for you. But look at how he begins that verse. Now he who searches the hearts, that is, God the Father who searches the hearts, knows what the mind of the Spirit is. Isn't that an interesting phrase? What what does that mean for us? In respect of the Spirit interceding. Well, when you talk about searching the hearts, what psalm does that bring you to? I read this this past week to Ron and Marjorie. Psalm 139. How does it begin? How does it end? Lord, you have searched me and known me. And then it ends. Search me, O God, and know my heart. (laughs) And Paul here is saying, now, the God who searches the hearts knows what the mind of the Spirit is. Let me ask you, when God searches your heart, this this is the joyful thing to understand. Who does he see there? He sees his spirit. Isn't that wonderful? He's searching our hearts. He'll he'll see a whole lot more in our hearts. (laughs) Some of our struggles, some of our sins, some of the temptations that we have fallen into, some of the things that we've kept hidden from other people. He's the searcher of hearts. He knows our hearts. But when he searches our hearts, what does Paul say? Who does he see there? His spirit who is abiding within our hearts, the Spirit who knows what is in us, the Spirit who knows what we need, the Spirit who knows what sin is abiding within us, who knows what temptations we have faced, who knows what struggles we are enduring, who knows what area of our life is ready for His sanctifying work, who knows all of these things. And what does it say? As the Father searches the hearts and sees the Spirit, knows what the mind of the Spirit is, what does He say that the Spirit is doing for us? He is making intercession to Christ. He's making intercession for us. Saying, here's the sin. Come as I convict them with your cleansing, atoning sacrifice. Here's a temptation. Come and give him strength to endure. Here's an area that needs to be sanctified. Come and bring your grace to that end. Isn't that marvelous? He is interceding. He is speaking to the Son and through the Son speaking to the Father. And He is saying, do this for Him, for her. Charles Spurgeon, he's reported to have said this, but it's wonderful. Spurgeon has a certain insight. But he said this. He said, I thank God that my prayers reach heaven in the revised version. (laughs) Indeed, thanks be to God. This is the Spirit. And so when we pray, when we fumble with our words, when we pray for something that is maybe not in accordance with God's will, the Spirit is the one who takes all of that and intercedes in a mightier way to say, God, let your will be done. We have a helper in heaven 
but we have a helper within our own hearts too. Thanks be to God that He has not left us to ourselves. Are you praying with all prayer and supplication in the Spirit? My friends, do you know this ministry? Pray. Pray without ceasing.